Hello, everyone, and inside today's Locked On Canadians, it's very special. We have a continuation of the Friday mailbag on Monday because we had so many listener questions. And before we get to that, we're going to talk a little bit about the newest Montreal Canadian, Evgeny Dodonov, and that's all coming up inside today's show. For Locked On Canadians, your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 640 of Lockdown Canadians. And as always, thank you for making us your first listen or your first watch of the day if you're watching us on YouTube. We're available wherever you get your podcasts and, of course, on the wonderful YouTube app so you can see our brilliant faces every day. And today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online, And Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. I am one of your hosts. I am Scott Matlin. I'm joined, as always, by the active stick, Laura Saba. It is... Father's Day weekend. It is Juneteenth, a very important holiday uh, in the United States here. And Laura, how how was this weekend? It was F1 weekend in Montreal, so it was crazy busy everywhere, I am assuming. Well, I actually stayed away from that. Um, I, I figured... You know, it it's it's it. I thought it would be hot. Usually, Grand Prix weekend is impossibly hot, but it wasn't. It was actually quite cold. But uh, I I didn't want to join in the festivities because I was a little bit nervous still. Uh, and you know, I wanted to kind of just avoid the crowds. But by all accounts, Montreal is back. The Grand Prix is back. Summer tourism is back. So it's it's good for the city, if not great for me. <laughs> <laughs> And with this weekend, we've had a couple of days now to digest and kind of process and analyze the departure of Shea Weber and his contract from the Montreal Canadiens to the Vegas Golden Knights. And in return, Montreal acquired Evgeny Dodonov from Vegas. And we we talked a little bit about Shea Weber and everything going into our mailbag last week. And we want to make sure we actually have the time to uh, talk about the other side of this, because it is important that for... All intents and purposes, the way Kent Hughes spoke is that Dodonov is expected and will likely suit up for the Canadians going into this season. He's not going to get flipped right away. And I thought we would take a little bit of time here to kind of talk about the player that's coming in. I have an article coming out on Eyes on the Prize, I believe, tomorrow. The editors got to that in time today about where he kind of fits in. But obviously, a lot of you folks are podcast people, not, you know, reading article people because... Why read when you can listen all the time? You can take us with you wherever you want. Exactly. We are in your pocket wherever you want. And my biggest thought is, uh, as someone put on Twitter that it was funny that he blocked a trade to Anaheim and his no trade clause, but had Montreal available on his list of trade teams because he signed that when he was playing in Ottawa. And I think that's kind of neat that some players still want to come here, even with the intense media pressure and the fan mounting pressure and everything. And I look at Dodonov as this, is that I think he's a pretty consistent 20-goal guy. He has been that since he's come back from the KHL. Uh, I want to say it was five or six years ago at this point with the Florida Panthers. It's good for 20 goals, about 45 points. And he doesn't need to be a superstar for the Canadians, but he has the versatility and the offensive prowess that at even strength, he should help bolster their scoring. He's not going to fix the power play. I just I want to get that out there right now. Unless something magical happens... He wasn't a big part of factoring into Vegas's power play. 
I don't quite know about Florida. I didn't go back that far. I looked at his most recent season. But having a consistent guy who can play the left or the right side as a winger that can play anywhere in that middle six or on the top line if need be, it allows Martin St. Louis a little bit of versatility and a guy who's, I want to say the opposite of Mike Hoffman and Josh Anderson in that he's a more safe and secure bet than high risk, high reward. He is, you know, I don't want to say, I don't want to say low floor, but he's solid. Yeah, exactly. He's consistent in what he does. And you know what? That's a good thing for a team that lacks consistency, at least the past couple years anyways. What I think is really interesting is this kind of makes it extremely, extremely clear, given his cap hit, that Montreal still needs to sell players. And we knew that already. We knew that they were trying to unload certain players. But this kind of makes it even more of a crunch, if if that makes sense. It, it, it squeezes them a little bit tighter. So I think that, that, that lesson as well is really important. But I think he was, he was the piece uh, because... Vegas, we knew Vegas was going to try and trade him in the offseason. We also knew that Vegas needed LTIR. Now, depending on who you are, like we've argued that it would have been harder to trade this contract. Other people have argued that like teams would be falling all over themselves trying to like outbid each other for this contract so that they can get the LTIR space. What ended up happening was just a thing that happened, right? It's not <laughs> like the Canadians gave up anything for the contract to go away. There was something to do with insurance that is a little bit more complicated than I understood that kind of made, made it a little bit harder for this, for this contract to get traded. Uh, But now that's done. We can, you know, we can move on. It is obviously, you know, a lot of fans have been over the last couple of days expressing how much they're going to miss Shea Weber. And I think that's, that's fair. And a lot of the things that, you know, we want to talk about our, our, our good friend, Ian Boisvert made the point that, you know, all the criticisms of Shea Weber were unfair because they weren't criticisms that he had anything to do with, right? It was the way he was handled, both as an organization, as a coaching staff, and all of that. So it is kind of a little bit, um, it's it's sad, it's bittersweet, all of that. But I think that I'm glad that this chapter is over because that closes the book on something. It also opens up the the, the possibility for a new captain and all of that. Uh, but with the Dodonov, like, it's interesting because it felt like maybe they acquired him to then trade him again. Um, and it looks to me like, you know, depending on where you sit, it looks to me like it's one of those things where they're going to let him play a few games and then trade him during the regular season. But I'm sure that teams are coming and knocking. Like, I I know that there's been a lot of talk about Josh Anderson. I know that there's been a lot of talk about the Canadians wanting to unload people. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what their next move is as a result of this move. I, I look at Dodonov too because it, it immediately acquire a guy with one year when you're a team in a position of the Canadians is this guy is getting flipped at the trade deadline. And I have absolutely no doubt that that is the plan here. Even if he plays well, you know what? he He's not going to be a long-term piece on this team. He's 33 years old. He's consistent. He's probably not going to put up superstar numbers in Montreal unless, you know, something he just melds perfectly with people. I look at him as going okay, you come in this season and going into the trade deadline, you can put up, you know, second, third line winger numbers here and help out a little bit. Maybe occasionally play on that top line with Caulfield and Suzuki. You could flip to the deadline for prospects, picks, whatever it might be. I don't think he's going to get maybe an Arturi Lekin in return, but, you know, Brett Kulak-ish, maybe, maybe a little bit more because he's a forward and it's easier to quantify what he does. But everything to this screams is that he's going to get traded at some point again this season. 
I think he's going to suit up. I think he's going to play for the Canadians this year. Every uh, thing Kent Hughes said is that that is likely the case. And I'm okay with that. Dodonov is a very useful player and provides stability and balance to a team that needs it in the wingers there. You put him on the uh, on a wing for Shane Wright, uh, you know, a second or third line center there and go, okay, here's your option. You have Brendan Gallagher on one side. You have Evgeny Dodonov on the other. They're not asking him to carry Mike Hoffman around. They're not asking for him to cover for Josh Anderson. They don't need him to play this, just a nice insulating piece. And I think that's what the Canadians need right now. And we, we talk a lot about, you know, what Ken Hughes has done so far. This is a really good trade because he flipped an asset that he needed to get rid of, opened up cap space, acquired another asset that is easily movable here in the near future to acquire more assets for the, his long-term goal. That's long-term planning as a general manager, and it's really, really admirable. Um, we will have more on Dodonov in the future as we kind of, you know, review players and preview the season and whatnot as we go through the summer. But as we mentioned off the top of the show here, we got so many questions for our mailbag last week that with the Shea Weber, Evgeny Dodonov trade happening, we could not possibly get to all of them. We got to as many Twitter questions as we could. Now we're going to dive into what was in the YouTube comments and in the emails and everything. And that's all coming up next. But first, as I mentioned, betonline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. You can get all the latest developments across sports leagues, including this year's NHL Stanley Cup Final, Major League Baseball. Obviously, golf is going on right now. F1 is big. Anything you are looking for. And they are your continued source for all your live betting, esports, and scores. And betonline.net remains the best spot for everything, including podcasts and news. They have everything you are checking out including if you want to check in on MMA, boxing, anything at all, betonline.net has you covered. So head to their website to debate or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, so as I mentioned, we have a lot of questions. Our YouTube comments have been phenomenal. You guys are great. You can drop them down below. Uh, just say, hey, for your next mailbag or something, and we will make sure we go through the comments. We take a screenshot of that so we save them so we can remember them for this week's show. Uh, and if you ever want to tweet us your mailbag questions, at LO underscore Canadians, LockdownCanadians at gmail.com if it's longer. We try and get everything in there. And I'm going to turn the questioning duty over to my co-host today. She has all the photos for everything, uh, for all the questions and comments that we got. Laura, where are we starting today? So we've got uh, one of our YouTube comments with multiple questions in one and they're all related to defense so i figured we could spend the segment on it uh just real quick when you are sending us comments either on the twitter or the emails or in the youtube like if i don't acknowledge that we added it to the mailbag because what i'm doing is i'm screenshotting them and saving them in a specific album so if i don't acknowledge that i received the question on our social media just let us know, just, you know, bump or resend the email or something like that so that we make sure that it's factored in. As well, we have a zero tolerance policy, not just for people not being nice to us, but also not being nice to other people. You're welcome to disagree with us. But if you're hostile, rude, abusive, not just towards us, but towards any of our other listeners and commenters or, or, or followers on Twitter, we will block, delete everything like that. Like you have to get along with each other. You don't have to like each other or agree with, it, with each other. Just don't be abusive to each other. Uh, and so that, that's essentially all we ask. You, don't, you literally don't have to agree with a single thing we say as long as you are decent in your interactions with everybody on our socials. Um, 
So this comes from YouTube and the questions are from Terrio. So thank you for all these questions. Um, so the first question is, who stays and who gets traded in the defenseman prospect pool? Who? That, like, that's tough because obviously they traded specifically for Justin Barron. That was the name they went after. So I don't think it's him. I think Jordan Harris, considering the effort they went through to get him signed and to give him games, it's not going to be him. I don't really consider Alexander Romanov a prospect anymore. He's an NHL regular. But I look at someone like Matthias Norlinder, who it's not that he's fallen off as a prospect. It's just his year this year with the way the previous regime handled his time in Montreal, how Dominique Ducharme treated him in-game, uh, going to the AHL where he played decently well, but got banged up a little bit, went back to Sweden, uh, played well for Frölunda in the playoffs there, and then came back over. And then, of course, two games into the playoffs that he was in, he was, again, injured unfairly. And it takes some recovery time. And, you know, you lose valuable time when you are when you suffer those injuries. And I think that he might be of interest to some teams there that have, you know, can be a little bit more patient with him. And then I look at someone like Jaden Struble, who I like, and I know our friends on the Hab subreddit like as well, He's just a freak athlete. He's got a lot of things you can't teach because he's just, he, he's a freak, a physical freak athlete. He tested so well at the combine and teams love that kind of stuff. They love physical assets. And I think Kent Hughes knows that obviously dealing with Jordan Harris and his son playing in Northeastern, he knows very well about, you know, Jaden Struble at this point. I would be disappointed to see them trade any of the big names out of the defensive pool this year just because so many of them are just starting their professional steps or are about to. And I don't like trading people before we know what, if they can even make that next step or if they're prepared to make that next step because you get buyers rem- or not buyers or more sellers remorse, let's call it. Um, but I do think Norlander and Struble might be at the top of that list just because they're either not, you know, here yet in case of Struble or they might not be fully ready yet and still have appeal to, a team looking for a young defenseman. Okay, so I'm going to ask all the other questions sort of in succession because I think we can spend the rest of the segment kind of talking about this because it is all mostly related to D, uh, mostly related to D prospects and um, lefty. So the next question was, do you think Hughes could use the depth on the left D side in the pipeline during the draft to move up or would he wait a little longer and use other assets? Struble and Jack I seem a similar type of player. If you had to keep one, who would be your pick to stay? Is one of those two likely to be traded? With also Harris, Schooneman, Clegg, Fairbrother, Norliner, and Leskin, and there's probably too many lefties to play them all next season in the AHL or the NHL. And with Gooley being NHL ready with a tremendous year of growth, do you leave Harris developing in the AHL with top end quality minutes, or do you put him in the bottom six in the NHL? So, and this is my fault because I <laughs> uh, I did not bring up the depth chart before this question. <laughs> and currently looking at this, Alexander Romanov and Corey Schooneman are RFA. So is Kale Clegg. Josh Brook is as well, but Josh Brook is on the right side. Um, for the first, my first thought is one, it's going to be very hard for Corey Schooneman to break into this lineup because obviously Chris Weidman's back, Otto Leskinen is here. I think Kale Clegg will go to free agency or he might get league minimum and they might try and sneak him through waivers. Uh, that it's going to be, and I, I don't like calling it, it's going to be a bloodbath for some of these prospects to make the NHL here. Justin Barron on right defense probably has the best shot because in front of him is David Savard and Chris Weidman. 
And Jeff Petrie is on that list, but he's high on trade pieces right now. He very easily might be the next guy out the door here. And that opens up spots there. Xavier Willett's likely gone. Uh, William Lagason might be gone. I it's it's very tough. And I do think Jordan Harris is going to start in the AHL just because they're going to give him 20, 25 minutes a night. Caden Gooley might start in the AHL for a little bit and move his way up here. And they might resign Corey Shuneman and go Shuneman Weidman on that third pair until one of the prospects goes and takes it from them. Uh, Arbor Jack, and I mean this in the nicest way possible, is that he's someone who is not going to jump right to the NHL. Uh, he's going to need some time and adjustment to develop in the pro game. He might play a little bit for the Lions in the ECHL and then move up. And that's not a bad thing. That's what you want out of a three-tiered prospect system. And I got to be honest, I'm very excited because, yeah, the forward group isn't super sexy, so to speak. But the defensive prospect pool here has so many varying pieces of varying styles that it's hard not to be giddy that you have bruisers like Caden Gooley and Arbor Jack. But you also have very smart, well-read defensive players like Caden Gooley and Jordan Harris. We know what Otto Leskinen is. He's a very good puck-moving offensive defenseman. Matthias Norlinder is a very good offensive defenseman when he's healthy. Justin Barron is this kind of amalgamation of everything, and that's exciting. I'm really excited to see the young defensive core next year. There will probably be a vet or two thrown in there because you can't leave it all to kids all the time. You do need some veteran leadership back there, but I uh, I think it's going to be tough for Corey Schooneman to hold an NHL spot if he's back next year because – uh, you know, Gooley and Harris are going to be knocking right on that door and training camp is going to be competitive. The preseason is going to be competitive. A lot of people say the preseason doesn't matter for a lot of teams. Uh, it does. If you're any of these prospects, it's the difference between starting in Laval and, you know, being on the opening night roster. If you have a bad game or two. I also like, I just want to say, cause I know we're, we need to move on to our next segment, but when people say the preseason doesn't matter, like those are teams where they are fully stacked already and they're just playing their prospects who don't have a hope of making the NHL for another like two years, right? Like the preseason for rebuilding teams matters so much because you can tell so much. And this is the thing is that the veterans might not be trying and the games might not, the results of the games might not matter, but these are guys trying to win lineup spots. So how they go about it sends a strong message to not just the players, but the organization themselves. So that's all I'm going to say on that. And I know we have lots more questions coming up, Scott. Yes, uh, we absolutely do. And remember, if you want to send us questions at LO underscore Canadians on Twitter in the YouTube comments, LockedOnCanadians at gmail.com. Just do not be a jerk. We have so many more questions, and that's all coming up in our next segment. All right, so we're going to dive into the rest of the YouTube questions. We had a ton of them. Laura, thankfully, has curated them because she is smarter at this than I am. Laura, what else do we have in our YouTube comments for the Monday, Friday mailbag spectacular extravaganza jubilees abrasion? <laughs> Are you ready for more D questions? Uh, Steve E. Phrasing? Asks, Are we just not doing <laughs> phrasing on this podcast anymore? We are not doing phrasing anymore. We are a kid-friendly podcast. This is a question about defensemen, Scott. Uh, Steve E. Question. Do you think that if not by now, then by the end of this draft, the Habs will have their future top four defensemen in their system? Are we counting I mean, the okay. NHL as in the system right now, too? 
Yeah, because I think that like somebody like David Savard, who's likely not to be re-signed after his contract is over, he doesn't count. But Alexander Romanov seems to be a piece that they want to keep. I look at right now, I think Joel Edmondson will probably stay beyond the length of his contract. They might kind of just piecemeal it along here. Jeff Petrie, for all intents and purposes, I do not think will be here by the end of his contract. Romanov will be, yes. And I think in their ideal top four, they have Caden Gooley. They have Joel Edmondson. They have Jordan Harris. And then they want one of Matthias Norlinder or Justin Barron to be one of those other pieces there. And depending on what they do in the draft, there's a lot of really good defensive names in this draft too. I've been kind of doing mock drafts in the background while I was waiting to record tonight. And every time there were good centers, there were good defensemen. I think very much that they will have their ideal top four, potentially a future top six kind of piece together here. They will. My hope is that they will have their top six, you know, forwards put together by the end of this, uh, including the guys they've already drafted and including likely Shane Wright and other pieces here. And I do think that they will have an idea of what they want in that top four here, but obviously we have to see how development goes. We've seen how it went for some of the forwards in the AHL this year. Now JF Hool has to kind of switch and Hey, we have to develop defensemen this year, uh, which you know what? I think they can do it. So it's going to be interesting, but I do think uh, with the amount of draft picks they have and where they are, they can definitely find another piece to plug into that uh, top four scenario there. Ron H on YouTube asks, it would be interesting to gauge what Montreal could get for Anderson and see what his value across the league is. If Montreal could get Ottawa's seventh overall pick and Savoy is there, should Montreal pull the trigger on this? I think Savoy is in that tier one of guys in this draft you could see becoming a Mitch Marner or Braden Point type of player. Now, some of our listeners are disagreeing with that, Scott. I've been seeing some 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 people saying Matthew Savoy is overhyped. I, my biggest thing is, one, do not trade Josh Anderson anywhere within the Eastern Conference or at least within the division because he will personally haunt the Canadians because he seems like the petty, you know, vengeful type. And I would really rather not have him do that because for his flaws, he is still the power horse. He is a freak athlete. He is incredibly strong. And I would really, really like to not have to play against that. <laughs> um I look at a team like Edmonton. Edmonton feels like a group that's going to love him and because they don't love Jesse Pugliarvi for whatever reason. And if there's a team that wouldn't, I don't think, understand how to utilize Josh Anderson properly, it's the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, so I it's do safe li- to send him there. <laughs> exactly. It's very safe to send him there. I do like Matthew Savoy. Savoy, Savoy, I'm not 100% sure. Everyone he plays in the WHL. So like, I know, I look at this though. Like I read it always. Like I was I was doing that with Tyler Sagan as well. I'd be like, Sagan, people are like, what are you talking about? I'd say things like this all the time. Like, like so I keep calling him Savoy and everybody else calls him Savoy. And I'm like, all right, I guess it's Savoy. Like, like uh, Alexis Lafreniere. Like I was saying like Alexis Lafreniere and uh, trying to be English about it, but everybody else is pronouncing it the French way. So anyway, whenever I see like a French thing, I like... Nathan Beaulieu. <laughs> Nathan Beaulieu from Strathroy, Ontario. Like, and, yeah, and it's it's weird. I think his value is high because he has those physical traits like we talked about with um, Jaden Struble. And that some team will give up a lot for him because he is a rare put together piece here. It's just what can you get for him? Because if you free yourself of that contract, and I'm not saying the Canadian should trade Josh Anderson, 
your cap situation looks imminently better in the long-term picture. You have shed Shea Weber's $7.8 million cap hit. You have shed Joss Anderson's, what, 5.5 for the next four or five years at this point. It's a very, if you're looking for cap space, it's the right move to make. Uh, I'd be very interested to see what it is because I don't think his value is as low as some of the people who make fun of fan trades are saying. And I don't think it's quite as high as what Habs fans expect. I think it's somewhere in that middle ground there. And if you can find a team that thinks they're Josh Anderson away, you pull the trigger on that trade then if you think that's the right move to make. It'll hurt a whole hell of a lot, but it makes sense in the long run. That's that's my problem with Josh Anderson is that his value is never going to be as higher as high as it is right now. Um, and the problem is I don't want to lose him right now. You know, I do kind of, I am kind of realistic about him not necessarily being part of the core that's expected to contend in a few years. I don't think he's in that long-term plan. I don't want to see him go because I enjoy watching him play. And I think that he brings something to the team that a lot of other players cannot bring. And he's a special type of player, but Unfortunately, his cap hits pretty high and the Canadians need to get out of under as much cap as they can. And unfortunately, his value right now is extremely, extremely high. So our next question is from Jer. And we kind of already answered it, but let's definitively say, do you expect to see Jack Eye in the Habs jersey next season or let him mature in Laval? My money's Laval. I think you said ECHL first and then make Laval after. Uh, my thought is you will see him in a Habs jersey in the preseason. He will hit people. He will fight people. He will be a total pain in the butt because that is his style. And I know a lot of people got mad when I said that, you know, he might go the way of Jared Tenorti. I want to clarify that I'm talking about him feeling the need to fight. If he wants to fight people when the situation calls for it, great. Do not make that your only asset in the game. I think he's going to start the season in the minors, depending on what the defensive depth looks like, whatever I'm expecting more trades as we lead up into the draft here. I think Kent Hughes is only getting started with what he's going to do. And he's on that left side of the defense there that has Caden Gooley in front of him. It also has Jordan Harrison, Otto Leskin, and Matthias Norlinder and Gianni Fairbrother. He might make the rocket, and I would expect him to push for a spot there, and I think he can earn a spot there. But if he goes to the ECHL to start, do not panic. It is not the end of the world. But I do think he's starting his season in the AHL. And he's going to have to earn his way up from there. And he might do so. He's older than some of these other guys. He has a little more experience. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what he's able to do at the professional level, though. Our friend Rick B. And we will hear no animosity towards Rick B. I had to block a user for being mean to Rick. Um, I have a complicated question surrounding the salary cap. The salary cap was put there to prevent owners from overspending and to control costs. It also creates a set of rules that create competitive balance. And this is where we get a caveat. We cannot answer the question by saying it would be too complicated. A dollar spent by an NHL team in Florida, Nevada, and other states is not the same as a dollar spent in Quebec or California due to onerous tax stru structures. Should a formula be put into place that accounts for these tax inequities? Radulov signing in Dallas, Dallas for $7 million meant that he needed $8 million in Montreal, etc., etc. I believe that teams in onerous tax jurisdictions should have an equalization formula. What do you think? <sighs> I think that I don't know nearly enough about finance and the salary cap to fully give an educated answer on this. And I'm being very honest because I don't want to lie to Rick and our listeners on this. I, When people talk about it being more expensive to play in Montreal and in Canada and this because there's not this, I kind of just roll my eyes and go, I, 
I don't really care all that much. If players want to play somewhere, they'll either, you know, deal with it. And that's why you pay, pay agents for it. I had never considered some kind of balancing thing here, but I'm not 100% sure how the revenue gets piled in. Because I know there is basically some of the teams into, and I'm just saying words that I hear a lot on other shows, is, you know, everything gets paid into escrow that some of the teams pay in more because it helps cover teams like the Coyotes and the Panthers and other stuff. I've never thought about that really, and I don't know if it's possible without having to completely renegotiate the CBA, which, as we know, is a very painful process to begin with before we start messing with the money of other teams. And my fear is that if they try to do that, it's just going to lead to another lockout, and it's going to lead to a lot of very angry owners and a lot of hurt feelings and a lot of very stupid takes. It's not the worst idea I've ever heard, though. But I don't know how feasible it is just because the NHL and its owners are the way that they are. Jeremy Jacobs still exists. So, like, he's not going to want to pay for the Arizona Coyotes. This is true. So here's what I'm going to say about this. Now, I know a little bit more about finance than Scott does, but not that much more. I'm not one of those experts. But here's what I'll say is that it's not the jurisdiction. It is your GM and your agent. If you luck out and you get a good agent... Or the team is lucky and they get a good GM or assistant GM that knows these things. There are ways to structure contracts um, and there are incentives, like particularly in Canada, there's a thing called an RCA trust. So there are incentives that can be created um, that sort of allow you to kind of get around that difference in tax structure, like that no income tax. But like we have to think about it this way, right? Other than Vegas, you know, for a long time, the Kings the the Anaheim Ducks um, and the San Jose Sharks at various points were really good, right? Like they were cup contenders or cup winners. And then you look at teams like Florida and Tampa for a while. And for a long time, they were thought of as the bottom of the league. And those are two places that have, you know, California has high tax structures and um, and Florida has no state income tax, right? Or no, whatever it was. They, they I think they have no state income tax, whatever it is that they, you know, so like, watching those teams, I think players want to go to a winner. And then if you're a GM, let's say if you're the two, the two teams in Ontario and you have like high Canadian taxes, you, you're up against each other in terms of who your capologist is and how smart they are about the way that they structure contracts to get around the cap, but also to kind of make it so that the players uh, have a little bit of cap or tax relief. It all, it, it, it's, it's all like kind of like, it's it's based on talent, I think, the talent of the of the GM or the agent, rather than the actual province or city or state that people live in. Like lots of people want to play for the New York Rangers and they have city taxes on top of New York state taxes, right? So I think it really has to do with how smart or astute the GMs are. In a perfect world, there would be an equalization formula. But right now, the way it does kind of create a competitive balance, but it also kind of creates an inequality depending on who you hire depending on, you know, who the player's agent happens to be. I think that's where the inequality lies more than the tax structure. It would be really nice, though, if it was just a simple formula for everybody. Then you wouldn't have to worry about that. But that's just another um, um, market inefficiency that some teams can exploit and other teams can't, right? So that's that's the way that I would answer that question. We've got just a couple questions left. I know we're running out of time, but I do want to get through them. 
Uh, Randy Hansen, our friend Randy, today's signing, so this was, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> a week or so ago, today's re-signing of Otto Leskinen makes me very happy. I see it as proof that the team has changed philosophy and direction. Do you think this is a sign the Habs are attractive again? I think it's also that players are more willing to listen to a GM who has a very clear and set plan. The Habs might not be very good this year. They're not expected to be very good. And with pieces moving in and out, it gives Leskinen another chance to play at the NHL level. And I think that's attractive for someone like him. They owned his rights. They were able to pitch it, and he agreed to come back. And it's also more stable than potentially playing in Europe right now where – because he was playing in the KHL, and then obviously the invasion of the Ukraine happened, and he left there to go back and play in Finland. And I think there's a stability being able to play in the AHL. He's getting a very nice AHL paycheck if he's there. And he's getting an NHL salary in the NHL. It's an attractive offer that they value his services and think he's a piece that could help mentor and potentially be a piece himself. He's only 25 years old. So I do think it's a shift in philosophy. And I think it's a shift in the current group going, it was a mistake to maybe let you go away under the previous room. We want to bring you back. Here's what we're thinking. And he agreed to that. He could have said no, but like you said, it might be a change and it might be just a different sales pitch. And I, I think it's a valuable thing to, you know, sometimes admit, hey, they made a mistake in letting you go. We want to rectify that. So um, I agree. I think it is a little bit of a change in philosophy here from the new, uh, not ownership, but GM group and everything. The new management. Yeah. So Patrick L asked a question about the Flyers, but here's what I just thought is that we haven't had a guest who covers the entire NHL in a while. So we're going to leave this question about the Flyers D for that guest so we have two questions left one of them is from our friend victor maxwell mailback question there's a lot of chatter about trading josh anderson i like this player and from the videos i saw both josh and his family are thrilled to be in montreal for the habs i would be more interested in trading petrie and dvorak for extra picks in this year's draft rather than trading anderson let's say a mid first for dvorak and a prospect and an extra second rounder for petrie thoughts I think you're undervaluing Petrie in this deal here is because Petrie under Martin St. Louis was a first pairing defenseman who put up first pairing points in first pairing minutes with a garbage team, uh, mostly on the other side of him. All due so respect. you get a lot more. Exactly. And I think he, his long-term contract, his ability to produce as an offensive player and maybe not having to be the guy on another team makes him valuable. And I'm in favor. I, we've heard the rumors that Dvorak might be on the way out because he was a Bergevin guy, not a Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon guy. And it was kind of a short-sighted trade to bring him in and ask him to be Philip Deneau and Jesperi Kotkaniemi at the same time. Um, it was not fair on him, but I also think that, as you said in, I think it was last week's episode, if the Canadians end up picking Shane Wright, Christian Dvorak becomes the piece that they're able to trade. Yes. I also would not be shocked if they kept him because he's a good insulator for, because Dvorak under Martin St. Louis played very well. In addition, when he came back from that injury that he suffered when he got elbowed in the back of the head, I really do think that he has value to this team and he needed the right coach to get it. Dominique Ducharme didn't really know. They went, you're the defensive center. Here's Mike Hoffman. Doesn't work that way. So uh, it's tough, but I, I, I do think they can keep Anderson. I think Petrie's all but gone at this point, whether it's acrimonious or not. I think there's a lot of value for him and there's not this much smoke without there being fire at some point. Agree. All right. Are you ready for one question? It's not from our nemesis. It's from a friend, but it is a fun question. All right. 
Andrew G. asks us, for the mailbag, if you're putting together a Fellowship of the Ring group from the Montreal Canadiens, who are your nine from the current Canadians and Rocket rosters? You need four hobbits, two men, an elf, a dwarf, and a wizard. All right. So for hobbits, you have Cole Caulfield. You have Raphael Harvey-Pinard. You have Paul Byron. And you have Rem Pitlick. Two men. Um, for two men, you have Joel Edmondson and you have Jeff Petrie, one of whom will leave before too long, before the fellowship truly gets on its way. Sorry, Jeff, I love you. Um, you need an, an elf, elf, Nick Suzuki. <laughs> a dwarf. David Brendan Savard. Gallagher. <laughs> Brendan Gallagher does kind of fit being a dwarf too. He has the same attitude as Gimli. So, um, and a wizard. And a, and a wizard. Man, maybe I shouldn't have made Nick Suzuki an elf and I should have made him the wizard. Carrie Price can be the wizard because he's old and wise and does magical things like get Dominique Ducharme to a Stanley Cup final. So, um, <laughs> All right, so that's all our questions. Um, uh, thank you, Andrew G., for that really fun one. Yes, uh, and as always, like we've said, YouTube comments uh, at LO underscore Canadians on Twitter, LockdownCanadians at gmail.com if you want to send us a longer question, money, cheeseburgers, praise. We are open to all of that. If you want to follow Laura on Twitter, she is at the active stick. If you want to follow me, I'm at Scott Matla. Thank you so much for subscribing. We were over a thousand subscribers. We're closing in on 1200 subscribers. We are making that fat, fat YouTube money. Uh, we have it's enough. That to... fat. <laughs> it's fatter we... than I imagined. So <laughs> we have enough, I think for both of us to go out to a dinner, but not that nice. <laughs> uh, and as always, when you're done checking us out, making us your first listener, first watch, please check out Lockdown NHL, where all of our local experts have all the latest news and stories that you're going to want covered. Uh, we will see you all next time.